Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, authoritative Word. Hear the Word of God to you this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts this morning. You may be seated. What, my brothers and sisters, is the kingdom of God like? That's what Jesus is dealing with in these parables. What can those who belong to it expect? How will it be expressed here on earth before that great and final day when King Jesus comes to consummate his kingdom's reign? These are the questions that Jesus himself answers for us in Matthew 13 when he first visited this planet incognito, as it were, as one of us. So, so far in our study of Jesus' parables in Matthew 13, we've seen that the kingdom advances as the word of God, that is the gospel in particular, as it's sown in people's hearts, as it takes root, And it bears fruit. That's how the kingdom advances. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. No gimmicks. No other methods. It's through the living word. That's what Jesus, when he gave the parable of the sower. We've also seen that the kingdom of heaven in this world is to some extent hidden from human eyes. And that... At the same time, it will gradually rise, like Jesus talked about it being like leaven that slowly works through and then grows and spreads. It's a slow burn, but it burns and it grows like leaven. We've seen that at the end of the age, King Jesus himself will send his angels to root out the sons of the evil one and usher the sons of the kingdom into eternal glory where they will shine brighter than the sun. That's the recap so far of what Jesus has been saying in his parables. Well, this morning we turn to the parables of the hidden treasure and of the pearl of great price. In these very short, pithy, to-the-point parables, Jesus teaches us about the value of the kingdom of its worth and how being a part of it is more valuable than anything that this world has to offer. John Piper in his excellent sermon on this passage summarizes it well. I want to quote him in full here. He puts it so well. He says this, 
What do we learn about the kingdom of God here in Matthew 13, 44? We learn one main thing. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. Having the omnipotent, saving reign of Christ in our lives is so valuable that if we lose everything in order to have it, it's a joyful sacrifice. Isn't that awesome? Nice and succinct, to the point, punches you. That's where we're going to pick it up this morning. And what we'll see in Matthew 13, 44 to 52 is this. We're going to see this. Two things. The kingdom of heaven, in, of heaven is of infinite worth. And those who've been instructed in it are a blessing to people on earth. I had a rhyme. I'm a preacher. The kingdom of heaven is of infinite worth. And those who have been instructed in it are a blessing to people on earth. That's what we're going to see in this text. Let's take a look at the first one. And this is the main point. The kingdom of heaven is of infinite worth. I'm going to read the first few verses again. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, let me begin by saying this. I'm not going to spend a long time on it, but I do want to make you aware of this. Some commentators view the one looking for the pearl, they would say that represents Jesus. And they would point out um, that in this text, um, Jesus would be the one that looks for the treasure. And according to them, we would be the treasure. And certainly... It is true, let me say this right off the bat, that Jesus does value us. Uh, He loved us so much He went to the cross. That's certainly true. And it's certainly true the Bible teaches that He sought us out like a good shepherd, right? He went and sought the lost. The Bible teaches that all over, that He purchased us with His blood. But the question is, is that what He was talking about right here in this parable? That's the question. The commentators who say yes point to the fact that we can't buy the kingdom. The kingdom is received freely freely by grace through faith. But as you can tell, the way I set this up quickly, I side with those who understand the man and the merchant in these parables as the sons of the kingdom. That's us. To begin with, Jesus' emphasis is not on purchasing the treasure, but on letting go of everything else in exchange for the most valuable of all treasures. That's the first point I want to make about that. Quoting one more time from Piper, and this is a short one. He says, the point here is not that the kingdom is bought, but that if it costs you everything you have, it's worth it. Now I'm going to bring out the big guns. That was Piper. He's just a preacher like me. He's not an errant. But now I'm going to bring out the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, we read it earlier in Philippians 3, and he puts it this way. But whatever was to my profit, whatever, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. And really in the Greek it's dung. That I may gain Christ 
and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from a law, the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Paul is saying even the good things he attained, he gives them all up to know Christ, to have Christ, to be found in Him. Jesus is saying this to us. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It's like a treasure hidden in a field that when a man finds it, he hides it again. And notice in the text, and goes with joy and sells all that he has in order to buy the field. Don't miss this point. It's a joyful exchange. It's not a sad face and a, and a you know, walking around in robes and hitting ourselves. You know, it's not like that at all. It's joyful. It's worth losing everything else for if you have to. Of course it is. Think about this. What are you exchanging? To exchange the rule and the reign of sin in your life for the rule and reign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who only wants the best for your soul and for your life and the lives of others. It's to exchange your sinful record of all the wrongs you did. And think about this way. All the things that you were supposed to do that you didn't do, they're still sin as well. It's to exchange that for the perfect record of Jesus Christ. To trade being thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for being received as a child of the kingdom in the day of glory. That's what the text talks about, right? With the good and the bad. But of course, the greatest of all joys is knowing not just the grace of Christ, but the Christ of grace. Amen? He is the pearl without price. He is that treasure that you'd go and sell every last thing you had to buy that field so that you could just have the treasure, if that's what it meant. Listen, those of you who know me well, there's a few of you in this room at least, know that I am 100% with J.I. Packer in, in his book, Knowing God, when he says it's a travesty when you teach new converts only about the positive aspects of the Christian life. You know, a forgiveness of sin and, and, and freedom from sin and, and the hope of heaven. And down, when you downplay that you have to carry your cross daily that you have to deny yourself, that, that those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a travesty when we soft-pedal that to new converts. Can I get an amen to that? But J.I. Packer would also agree, and I think he does mention this in his book as I rethought about this, that there is an opposite error that we must also avoid. And that is to so emphasize the suffering and the self-denial of following Jesus Christ that we neglect the absolute joy and pleasure and delight in knowing Him and walking with Him in joy and in sorrow and good times and in bad times and the struggles and in the victories and following Him on a pilgrim journey that does have an end. And it's a glorious end where we're reunited with Him the rest of the family of God. Jesus himself points out that the man who found the treasure in the field went back and buried it and then with joy 
went and sold everything. No long face. Um, I always remember uh, um, Chuck Swindoll talking about some Christians look like they've been sucking on persimmons all day. It's not very honoring to God. I I remember, uh, off the top of my head, I just remember this. Luther said, the devil is a a chronic grumbler. Isn't he? Children of God should be a living doxology. Some of us need to remember that we did gladly give up everything. We were willing to, to, to uh, accept the loss of anything because Jesus was worth it. With the hymn writer, we sang these words with joy and hope it rekindles your faith. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in, head, alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? David Livingston was a missionary to Africa. And I quote him appropriately this week as I have an opportunity to minister a bit to the African community. Um, He was a faithful gospel minister, and this is what he said. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word, such a view, and such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink. But let this only be for a moment. And then he ends with these words. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. How can we say anything but amen and amen to that? Now I know you may say, this is very convicting. (laughs) Yes, it is. But sometimes we need to get that bigger picture. We need to have the perspective that God gives us in his word. We need to remember and get back to as those who profess faith in Christ, what do we really value in life? As this sermon's been percolating in me, boy, it's been pinching and pricking and doing its work. Do I really value Christ as the most precious pearl? Am I willing to give it all up for Him? as he sees fit to give or take give or take away do i really believe these words in romans 8:18 8, i consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that'll be revealed in us 
Do we really believe the promise? We know that all things uh, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Do we really believe that those who don't have Christ will be punished eternally and that those who do will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father? If we do, then with joy, we'll be happy to cling to that old rugged cross and someday exchange it for a crown. Now listen. When I first got saved, I dove into the Word of God. I wanted to know just more and more about Jesus. I want to know about what He did for me. I wanted to know about justification, sanctification, regeneration, glorification. You name it, I wanted to know about it. And especially when I was young in the Lord, uh, sometimes I would get kicked back. Oh, you're too into theology. Back then they were wrong. Maybe I started when you get into seminary and, and college, you could start getting a little bit, you know. But back then they were wrong about it. It's not that I was into theology. I was into Jesus. Where are we going to know him better? Where are we going to find out about his riches of who he is and what he's done? It's only here. I remember when I did come off a of seminary, I had my first call in Baltimore, Maryland. I was so excited about all the riches I learned in God's word. And I went to share them. I stared at the congregation. And you could see they were just kind of like, yeah. And I'm like, really? You're not jumping up and down about this stuff? No, my brothers and sisters, we need to meditate on the gospel promises. We need to get back in the Word. We need to constantly survey the wondrous cross, not just sing about it. It's not just theoretical. It's not just theology. It's our spiritual food. We need to keep in mind always the bright future that lies ahead of those who belong to Christ so that Paul, like Paul and Barnabas, when they're in stocks, they could sing hymns and not moan and complain like most of us, including myself, do when things get a little rough. We need to remember who Jesus is and what He's done for us so that like our African-American brothers and sisters who suffered the injustice of being bought and sold and then later segregated, this is an old gospel hymn they used to sing, Oh, when I come to die, Oh, when I come to die, Oh, when I come to die, Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You may have the world but give me Jesus. <laughs> Brother Randy Neighbors puts it this way. Everything we got is worth giving up to get what he got. <laughs> it's a little inner city way of saying it. Everything we got is worth giving up to get what he's got. And in light of these verses, 47, uh, in light of... Uh, the parables of the pearl and of the hidden treasure, verses 47 to 50 make even more sense. And I'm just going to read them. They're pretty self-explanatory. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down in the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. When they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, then they threw the bat away. 
This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Brothers and sisters, we will be so thankful and we will value that pearl so much on that day, will we not? When the reckoning comes, we're going to be thankful that that great pearl is ours. We won't worry about the other stuff, the other junk we gave up. (laughs) That won't be able to help us then, will it? Excuse me. The kingdom of God, the pearl without price, Jesus himself, the king, is of infinite worth. And the last thing, I'm only going to mention this for a couple seconds here. Last thing we see is that those who have been instructed in it are a blessing to people on earth. Look at verses 51 to 52. We'll close with this. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Here's Jesus' point. Have you understood this stuff? Now, I believe, obviously, it's inerrant. They honestly answered yes. Now, we know, reading the rest of the gospel, not quite yet. It was an honest answer, just not a full one. It wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead and the Spirit was given them in fullness that they, and they could look back and understand Him more fully. But Jesus' point is this. He takes them at their word, just like when you say to your kid, have you understood? And they go, yeah, and you're like, oh. He says, okay. And here's his point. You've understood these things? Well, any teacher of the law who is instructed in the kingdom is like the owner of a house who looks in his storeroom and he brings out things old and new. His point is you now have a responsibility to tell the world about this pearl of great price. You have a responsibility to preach the kingdom, to preach me and the good news about my death, my resurrection, and how I reign at the right hand of the Father. You with me? So the responsibility, he's talking in this context to his disciples. So there's a twofold application I want to bring. First of all, it means, it, it definitely refers to the whole church in the sense that we all, whether we're a teacher or not in the church, we all know about the kingdom if we're believers and we can spread that and we can bring from the Bible both Old and New Testaments, new things and old things. In other words, new things as it applies to um, now we look at the Old Testament through Christ and we understand it. And it was especially new back then. But also new in its application, how it applies in different ways. We can bring that out. But obviously, it especially applies to teachers in the church. We call teaching elders, elders. Those who instruct, those who, James says, not many of you, believers, should presume to be (laughs) because we would be judged more strictly. That's why it is so vitally important that we belong to a local body of believers, a Bible-believing church, where we have we are under leadership who preaches the whole counsel of God and instructs us in the way of Jesus and who looks out for our souls and brings out treasures, old and new. I say this because in my years of being an elder in the church of Jesus, I guess started in the 90s, Again and again, I've seen folks who make covenant vows, who become members, and then, of course, they fall into sin, and then, then all of a sudden they want to argue from the Bible, you don't need to be a member. You don't, or here, the best one, the best, you don't need to go to church to worship God. 
I beg to differ because the Bible begs to differ. He gives apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers to do what? To equip the saints. We have to, especially in our culture today, we have to be willing to say that you are disobeying God if you're not under the authority of a Bible-believing church. It doesn't have to be ours, but it has to be one. And positively, Jesus is saying this is where the treasures come. Not at the bank, but at the church of Jesus Christ where treasures are brought out old and new. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the pearl without price for Jesus and the good news that he lived and that he preached and that he brought to us in his person. We thank you for his death and his resurrection and his ascension on high. We thank you that he reigns through his spirit and his word, not only in his church, but throughout the world. We pray now, O Lord, for each and every one of us that we would have a spiritual uh, front-end alignment, as it were, and that we would repent of those things that we have let crowd out our joy and our valuing of you, Jesus. Father, we do thank you for our small church plant that is just beginning and is small, but we thank you for your faithfulness to her, and we thank you for our sister churches, all Bible-believing churches. And we do pray, Father, we pray not only that in this community we could be a light, Lord, but that you would add many, not just to our Bible-believing church, but many other churches here in this community and beyond for your glory, that they would be ready on the great day of reckoning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.